Hello, Michael. Hi, Hava. Hi, Michael. How's it going? I'm moving the screen closer just to make it feel a little bit more intimate. <laughs> Welcome to one of our fireside chats. <sighs> how are you? I. Why don't you tell me how you are? You seem a little... <laughs> What's wrong? I'm struggling, bitch. I'm struggling. Why are you struggling? I am suffering from that old evil known as what I like to call schedule creep. Uh Uh-oh. Where you tell yourself, I'm going to take enough time to rest and take care of myself. And then there's just one thing that can only be scheduled on the time you are going to rest. So you have to schedule that one thing. And then it turns out there's just one more thing. More and more things just keep creeping in until you find yourself looking at your monthly calendar, your daily calendar, and realizing that you're trapped running on fumes and that there's no way out of your schedule. I'm sorry. That sounds shitty. Yeah, it's hard. I'm a baby today. Oh. <sighs> Goodness gracious. Yeah, I just have taken a bunch of random part-time gigs. I have a class I'm teaching this September, which I talked about on the last show, which I'm really excited for. And I have, like, my normal life is just all added up, and it's too much. You gotta let some people down. That's what I like to do. I can't do that. Why don't you practice? Imagine you're canceling Hi, How Are You? Oh. Imagine. Just try it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm imagining it. Just say it. Practice. It's no, no, no. I'm disappointing you by not doing it. Oh, yeah. You are kind of. You're not playing along. (laughs) Yeah. That's okay. Well, I'm sure you'll figure it out. I hope you uh, resolve it soon. I'm trying. I'm trying to take measures to help myself have a better time. So here's hoping that that works. Otherwise... I don't know. You know, that's the phenomenon that's dominating my my existence at this time. I don't know what else to say about how I am. That's the main thing about how I am. Michael. Yes. Kai, how are you? Okay, how am I? Well, Hava, I'm probably not as burnt out as you, but I'm getting a little burnt out. Yeah? Yeah, a What's going bit. on? What's burning you? I'm just doing a good job at work. Ugh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that's happening. Mm-hmm. This is actually kind of related to this episode. Oh, yeah? So, okay, I live in the middle of the woods, right? Mm-hmm. And so I do a lot of naked or half-naked walking around outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently, I was with Skeeter taking him for a walk. Mm-hmm. A naked walk? Uh, yeah, we were both naked. Uh, well, <laughs> I, you know, whatever. You know, I wasn't. The details are important, but I was fairly naked. Uh-huh. And I was just taking Skeeter out for a morning walk, and he saw a deer yeah. in the woods, and he bolted. Oh, no. Yes, it was scary. That's stressful. Yeah. He wears a little bell so you can hear him. And I got yeah. Grunge Girl, and we went trekking off into the woods, and it was all very quick, so I didn't have time to put on clothes, so I was sort of searching in the woods semi-naked mm-hmm. for skeeter uh it's you know sort of related to what we're going to talk about today yeah there's been a lot of deer sightings right before i jumped on to record this with you there was a deer standing outside the porch just wow. munching and grunching well that sounds nice in some ways and other than the skeeter ways it is very nice deer are, are pretty magical yeah they're super magical uh what else is going on i i dug a trench with a shovel 
Mm-hmm. Like you do. Yeah, I did that uh, for new electrical wires. Yeah. You know, just, I'm fine. I'm fine, Hava. I'm really relaxed. Yeah. I mean, in a way, I'm. Uh, things for me are not as bad as they could be. When you saying you're fine made me think about this. It's like, I'm overwhelmed, but I'm good underneath the overwhelm. Like, I could be really depressed and also overwhelmed by my schedule. Mm, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, what's under the patina of overwhelm is, is still a bright, shiny penny. Michael, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the next chapter in the book, God is Here, Reimagining the Divine by Toba Spitzer. Different metaphors for referring to God. And uh, the reason why we're exploring this is because some of these metaphors maybe you haven't heard of before. Maybe they're a little bit uncommon, at least in the secular sphere of talking about God. So they could be helpful for connecting to the divine, which is what we're all about on the show. Connecting with the divine. Connecting with the divine, undoing cynicism. And the metaphor of the week is God as place. God as place. God as place. I prepared a a bunch of text to think about for this episode, but as I was getting ready, I was thinking, how much time do you want to spend in this episode talking about the book? Or do you want to just talk about the metaphor? Like, where's the more excitement for you? I think the excitement is more with the metaphor. The book, the chapter, we thank you, Toba Spitzer, for writing it. But, you know, it's very much a launching off point. Mm -hmm. I do think that something she wrote that I hadn't thought of as inspiration for thinking about God as place was the passage about Jacob and the dream and the ladder. That was a jumping off point for me to go look into Midrash and references to that particular story, Mm. which I thought was pretty cool. But yeah, I think we should just jump right into it. Great. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking about God as place, which is, is very connected to the name of God, Hamakom, which some of you may or may not be familiar with out there. It's one I use a lot in my own spiritual practice. And it literally means the place or the space, uh, which I've always thought is a really great name for God for a couple reasons. One of its unique sets of virtues is that it is both the same number of syllables as Adonai and also the same Hebrew grammatical gender as Adonai, so that it can just really easily slot into any other prayer situation where you might hear Adonai usually. So already, you know, it's like this really neutral, literally spacious word that is just so easy to integrate into stuff. So obviously I was like attracted to it from the very beginning of my own Jewish journey. But surely you weren't just attracted to Hamakom because of its technical characteristics that allow it to be substituted for the word Adonai. <laughs> There's many examples of three-syllable Hebrew words of the same conjugative gender that would allow you to do this. So right. tell me, though, tell me, though, Hava, what is it about the place that you like? Well, I like, you know, I'm a very mindfulness and non-duality centered person in my thinking about life and about the divine. And the place just feels very relevant to that. I mean, I I love to start with one of the first texts I brought that I feel like is a really good jumping off point comes from Bereshit Rabbah 68. Oh, you beat me to it. (laughs) It's inevitable that there's going to be some crossover. Rav Huna says, in the name of Rav Ami, why do we substitute the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and use Hamakom? Because God is 
the place, the makom of the world, and the world is not the place of God. From what is written, here there is a place with me, Exodus 33, 21. Hu is the place of the world, and the world is not the place of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So, according to Rav Huna in the name of Rabbi Ami, we use HaMakom to speak to the fact that the world is a Russian doll within God and not the other way around. Yeah, yeah. So this was the same Midrash that I found too. And the quote that's referenced from Tanakh is, Fayomer Hashem al is used as evidence that the world inhabits God versus the other way around. It means God said, there's a place near me. Get on that rock to Jacob. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Get up on that. Get up on that rock. There's a place near me, which I guess you could interpret to mean like God as an, as an anthropomorphic God and he's standing next to this rock. But I think if you're already not in that mindset, you can think of it as God is like a bowl and, yeah. and all the places that exist in the universe are like the milk and cereal in the bowl. And the bowl is saying like, oh, come to this rock near me. <laughs> yeah, that's a very pleasing way to think about the universe. Which means that there are places that are not near God, but they're not maybe in the universe. I don't know. Mm, I, I hadn't even thought of that. I just like, I mean, I think we've all heard the phrase. I don't know why I say I think we've all heard this. It's not something that everyone has heard. Uh, a thought in the mind of God, which is a phrase that was used to describe the universe. I'm looking up who coined that phrase right now but it's it's pleasant for me to think about myself as just a silly dream that god is having that's like a a worldview that i'm ready to embrace about my life yeah I, i'm into it too it, it's it's a uh, it's 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 kind of freeing uh for me i don't know why. yeah this sort of really speaks to like part of the reason why i'm attracted to this name and this metaphor for god beyond its just its um straight up grammatical treats is that it's just very easy it's very approachable to me i feel like adonai which means lord basically it's like a there's so much baggage attached to the idea of authority particularly lordly authority that it's like maybe eventually i could get to being okay with like having no qualms about that being a part of my prayer practice but Hamakom is just like, I just start out okay. I'm just like, yeah, I already thought I was a thought in the mind of God. So like, great. You know, one of the few times I can read something the rabbis say and be like, yes, agreement. No issues here. Yeah, it is kind of the opposite of the anthropomorphic God, thinking of God as the place. It, it's very mm -hmm. nice. It's very non-threatening in the way that we've all been trained to be like annoyed or miffed at the anthropomorphic God metaphor. Right. It's very trauma-informed. We're all very scared little babies, and we need like a very gentle God that just like approaches us very gently without too much scary stuff. And this name really encompasses that yeah so in addition to this reference where god is talking to jacob and he you know describes this place near him which is used as evidence to talk about god as containing all of the spaces in the universe there's more evidence from tanakh i found a nice reference it's also cited in Bereshit rabbah from psalm 90 the opening to psalm 90 to fila lo moshe ish 
ha'elohim Adonai ma'on ata hayita lanu bador vador. This is Moses' blessing. God, you've been our refuge or dwelling from generation to generation. Bador mm-hmm. vador. And whenever I hear bador vador, I think Gore Vidal. <laughs> But that's used as another explanation for why we refer to God as the place in this Midrash. Mm -hmm. Another is Deuteronomy 33, The ancient God is a dwelling or a refuge Mm. and supports the universe with his everlasting arms or something like Mm -hmm. that. Right. Nice combo of anthropomorphic plus God as space or place. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's very um, supportive, but in a very approachable way. I don't feel crowded by that support. It's just like God is there, like boosting me up, you know, just like giving me a thumbs up from the sidelines. Yep. I think this metaphor is just like has been my favorite for such a long time. And it's just so, um, I don't know, just like so, it feels like a safe space for me to be in. It feels like a safe space for me to experience God in, which is, I hadn't really thought about, I guess, the way in which metaphors and names for God are spaces unto themselves. You know, they're sort of setting out a a little area for us to experience God in, because obviously, right, God is beyond all the names and all the metaphors. So when we make a metaphor, we're sort of like delimiting a little space of like, this is where I'm going to experience God right now is like in this dimension. Yeah, it's very nice. I mean, this reminds me of what we talked about in the first episode. In our introduction, Toba Spitzer kind of hints at how how we think of everything in terms of metaphor and reference or how Mm. we think. I don't remember the exact passage, but that metaphorical thinking is just so common. Language is a medium through which Mm -hmm. information is conveyed. And these metaphors really aren't just neutral pathways for sharing information between people. They do alter the way that we think of the information, too. So, yeah, like these metaphors really are places where we can explore feeling different than how we usually feel. This reminds me of uh, another one of the texts I brought, which is from The Thirteen Petaled Rose by Steinsaltz, which is, I usually think of Steinsaltz as a Talmud, very academic person, but he also wrote a bunch of stuff about mysticism and Kabbalah. And he has this wonderful quote in The Thirteen Petaled Rose. The question appears in the very first story of the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve. The voice of God is heard calling, where art thou? The voice in the garden is still reverberating throughout the world, and it is still heard, not always openly or in full consciousness, but nevertheless still heard in one way or another, in a person's soul, and the person may repeat it to himself, Indeed, where am I? The only thing he can say with any degree of certainty is that he has lost his way and is hiding. To anyone, at any time whatever, the question may be flung, Where are you? I was just thinking about this because it feels like a part of the power of the metaphor of Hamakom and and of thinking of the universe of taking place within God is, you know, when you're faced with this existential question that Steinsaltz is posing us, you sort of always have the option to say like within God, like whatever I'm, whatever is happening, wherever I am, you know, I know it's at least happening in the context of this tasty bowl of cereal. I call God. Mm-hmm. Taste bowl cereal. I was trying to think of a good, mm, like, metaphor to describe how God is presenting himself to Jacob in that moment. 
And mm-hmm. I was thinking a tasty bowl of cereal, but then I think like that's not fair because some of the flakes are on the top and they're farther away from the bowl. And then I was thinking like take a like a scoop of squash soup and pour it on a dinner plate. And God is the dinner plate. And all of the places are like the soup on top of the dinner plate. <laughs> yeah, clearly our own journey through metaphor is a theme of this series where we're ex- exploring metaphors for God. It's hard for me to talk about this metaphor too much because I think it's so self-explanatory in a, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. It just makes a lot of sense, I feel like, to any modern who would be listening to this podcast. I could imagine some weird metaphor for God that no longer exists, like from the 7th century or 13th century, that's like, well, God is a horse. And then we'd have to do like 45 <laughs> minutes explaining like, well, this is how... This is the way in which God is a horse. Like, First, let's explain their trauma around like thinking about God as non-horse objects. And then, like, <laughs> doesn't it make sense that they would call God a horse? And then... It's like it's so evident. It's so right. it's so just unconsciously known that the anthropomorphic god is so cringy and that <laughs> place and space is just the polar opposite of that. Right. I mean a little bit in this episode I'm always on like I'm worried about us being overindulgent of our own sort of anti-anthropomorphic tendencies, you know? It's dangerous to do an episode where it's just like about all the stuff we already agree with. We can really, like, uh, inflate our own attitudes, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'll throw you a little something that might might add some spice. Well, I also have something that will add some spice. Okay, why don't you throw in some spice? Okay, it's a big spice. Okay, big spice. Okay, good. I know it's uh, gonna be wild for me to be the one that does this, but I'm going to bring something from outside Judaism. It's either going to be Buddhist or Taoist stuff. Uh, no. I know this is going to shock you, but it's going to be Christian. (gasps) (laughs) So I'm bringing a quote from The Cloud of Unknowing, which is an anonymous work of Christian mysticism written in the latter half of the 14th century. This is a work that's been very influential on me, highly recommended to pretty much everyone, you know, I think is just a great piece of work. And it's going to be hard to understand. So I'm sure I'll be summarizing throughout because I have two long quotes here. But I'll start with this one. But now thou askest me and sayest, how shall I think on him, God? And what is he? And to this I cannot answer thee, but I know not. For thou hast brought me with thy question into the same darkness and into the same cloud of unknowing that I would thou wert in thyself. For of all other creatures and their works, and of the works of God's self, may a man through grace have a full head of knowing, and well he can think of them, but of God himself can no man think. And therefore I would leave all those things that I can think, and choose my love for that which I cannot think. For he may be well loved, but not thought. By love he may be known and held, but by thought never. And therefore, although it be good sometime to think of the kindness and worthiness of God and special, and although it be a light and a part of contemplation, nevertheless, yet in this work it shall be cast down and covered with a cloud of forgetting, and thou shalt step above it stalwartly, but mistily, as a devout and a pleasing stirring of love, and try for to pierce that darkness above thee, and smite upon that thick cloud of unknowing with a sharp dart of longing love, and go not thence for that thing that befalleth. 
Okay. It's some hot, sexy stuff. So basically what he's saying, he's he's outlining his path of mysticism, how you can experience God directly. Taking notes, okay. And what he's saying is, if you ask me what God is, I can't tell you, because that question leads you directly to the kind of unknowing that I'm trying to get you to do. Because my path to mysticism is the cloud of unknowing. Because God, we can never think a thought about God. We can only think about God's kindness or goodness or effects on the world. But God can only be perceived through the transcendent faculty of love, not through thought. And so basically he's just saying like that is the foundation of his mystical school is to smite the thick cloud of unknowing with a sharp dart of longing love. Ooh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, let it soak in. Let it soak in. I have thoughts about how it's related to Hamakom, but I'm I'm just curious to hear how that landed for you as a, as my first Christian contribution to the show. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm down, I'm for it, I'm into it. It I think we should have Otta back on the show to discuss this. So this is a call out to you Otta. Come back on the show to discuss the following Girdles and completeness theorem. I would love to have Otta back to talk about it. This theorem in math that basically proves that there are unknowable truths in the world. Love it. I can only imagine the people in the laboratory that day being like, what a good this does us. I mean, it's, I think he had, he had a proof for God too, that apparently was like lost. I don't know. But he was also, you know, he, he was nutty and neurotic and like afraid that mm-hmm. someone would poison him. But yeah. Uh, yeah, like the way they go about doing it is, is they create a very simplified world that's basically just like algebra or like rubber, like a really simple like uh, set of math. And they Mm -hmm. prove within that world that there are things that you can't prove about that Mm -hmm. world that are true. It's a very creative. And I feel like it has, I don't feel like a lot of people ever talk about it. it. It was a big hit in the 30s or 20s or whenever it like came out. It like really shattered the math world and everyone's kind of like oh that's neat i mean that's that's good to know that like we can prove that there's a limit to what we can derive through just logical reasoning about systems mm-hmm. that we create or model but no one ever talks about like the metaphysical or not no one i don't hear a lot of people talking about the metaphysical implications of that and and that just reminded me of what you were talking about like you can't really use reason to explore the divine Um, Mm -hmm. And I do think that you run into that. You never know for sure in any discipline that you're in if you feel that something is true that you can't prove. You can never verify if it's one of those things that is unprovable like in principle. But it's just that kind of experience is one of the experiences that makes me feel closer to the divine. So it's, yeah. it's like the exact opposite of what people think of when they think of someone going into the sciences and mm-hmm. therefore they become more secular. It's like, no, if you go deep into any one thing, it doesn't even matter what it is. It's It seems like people often hit this thing where they like intuitively know how to do something or understand something that there is no mm-hmm. proof or evidence for. And it, it always feels like there's some connection between that and this very rigorous proof in mathematics about what can be known and not known. And that's what, that's what that reminds me of. Yeah, I definitely relate to that. And that's part of the reason I think this is connected to, to Hamakom for me, because Hamakom, you know, it means the place or the space. And 
to me and to, and to many of us, I imagine, right, space is sort of the opposite of matter. It's nothing, right? That's the that's the very definition of space. And Hamakom to me is sort of invoking this attribute of God, which is like God as emptiness, you know, God as not as a positive quality of kindness or love, but as like the void of other things. And it's that void that makes things possible. You know, it's that uncertainty that allows us to have those kind of transcendent experiences that you're talking about. And that's what I feel like the author of The Cloud of Unknowing is talking about here is this kind of way of thinking about God as you can only encounter God where there isn't anything else. Yeah. It's weird. Now I'm like imagining there's like a story though of someone like experiencing God where there's so much decadence happening, you know, like imagine <laughs> like you're surrounded by the emptiness of the decadence around you. And in that moment you have some sort of prophetic vision, but then you could also be in the desert like Jacob or, or Skeeter, Skeeter, are you having a divine experience right now? <laughs> Skeeter is always having a divine experience. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. He wants to go to that place and that place is outside for sure yeah i bet or he wants to play tug of war with his dinosaur <laughs> yeah um i don't know what i was talking about yeah places it's the opposite of matter you can't really point to it that's very refreshing i'm into it i'm into it yeah what what was the spicy thing that you're gonna bring oh what was I gonna, that's not as spicy as yours for sure it was, <laughs> i know i knew i was gonna shock you with my spice i mean it's just in bersheet rabba in the same midrash that we were talking about mm -hmm. i'll just read in english rabbi abba bar uh, yudan said about a warrior who rides on a horse having plenty of weapons on both his right and left the horse depends on the rider the rider does not depend on the horse as it is said, blah, 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 in a quote from Habakkuk 3, 8. But he's comparing the world to a horse, and God is like the rider on the horse. But in his mind, it's like the horse is secondary to the rider. Huh. Like the horse. So it's weird because you think like a horse supports the knight, you know, or, or like the mm -hmm. warrior on its back. It makes me think about like, would God be around if there weren't conscious beings around to think about God? Would God be around? Would God be around? Well, you know, yes, he would be. <laughs> they would be. The place would All be. right. That's the philosophical questions resolved today by yep. Michael. Done. Done. Resolved. Do you have anything else? I have a couple other texts that I pulled here, but none of them are like uh, really sparking at this moment. None of them are like uh, feeling quite as as sexy as as anything that's been brought we peaked yeah we peaked maybe we're done <laughs> okay well i hope this very languid chat about god as nothingness or god as openness has been soothing to your soul listeners as it has been to mine and I hope you're enjoying, all of you, our new format. We will continue to bring you the juiciest content we're capable of creating. I will do my best to get less overwhelmed, which will free up that much more brain space for the pod. And I'm wishing you all a spacious Elul and a Shavuotov. Shavuotov. Shavuotov.